Community Church, so good to have all of our campuses with us uh, this morning as we are in our third week of our series entitled Brand New. And if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, I would really want to encourage you to go online where you can catch up with all the conversations that we've been having in this series entitled Brand New, because it's important for you to know um, that because our conversations over the past few weeks have, have kind of centered around the idea that people resist churches because churches hold on to things that hold us back. See, we hold on to traditions, we hold on to preferences, we hold on to practices, we even hold on to some belief systems that make it harder for people to really discover who Jesus Christ really is. So last week, we said, you know, of all these things that people hold on to, one of the things that make people resist the church the most in our communities is something that the church should resist as well. In fact, one of the things that we should let go of, of, of the many things that we should let go on that we've been holding on to, is this whole idea of this thing called the temple model. And if you weren't here last week or the week before, I really would encourage you to go back and listen because we lay a little bit more of the foundation for what all this means. But here's kind of like a basic overview to kind of catch you up or, or to remind you, and that is this. Most every religion that you'll ever study, um, well, it's true for every religion, um, has been built basically on four common characteristics of this thing called the temple model. The temple model is made up of four things. The first one is something called sacred places. In other words, every religion has this sacred place that they, they, they say, this is a sacred place, and if you really want to experience God, or you really want to be sealed in or be in good with God, you go to this sacred place. And the thing that's interesting about this sacred place is sacred places always hold sacred text. And those sacred texts, they're controlled by sacred men. And, and these sacred men are like the gatekeepers for that religion, for heaven and hell for people. And, and they have the power to interpret that text. And, and they are able to define through that sacred text, how their sincere followers and sometimes their scared followers or even their superstitious followers can gain access to God. But here's what's so interesting about this whole temple model thing. When Jesus came along, he ended God's participation in the temple model. And he introduced something brand new. And we're calling that the Jesus model. And the Jesus model, it established four brand new things. In other words, it eradicated the four things or the four foundational characteristics of the temple model, and Jesus introduced four brand new things. The first thing he introduced was a brand new covenant, and we talked a little bit about that more in the second week of this series. And, and then by new covenant, we mean a new arrangement that God made between man and God, which means now everybody, every person has direct access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, so not only am I introducing a new arrangement of how people can have faith in God and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but with that new covenant, Jesus also introduced a new command, which introduced a new behavioral ethic for how we relate to people, how we treat people, how we interact with people. And then Jesus said, build upon this new covenant, and this new command that I'm giving you, and this new ethic for how to relate and treat other people, he says out of that, there is going to be this thing called a new movement. And we call that movement 
the church. And the church is not a building. It's not a sacred place. It's, it's not a location. It is a gathering. It's a group of people who are following Jesus. And so Jesus establishes this, this Jesus model with a new covenant, new command, new ethic for our behavior, and a new movement called the church. And then Jesus leaves the earth. And he leaves this brand new message in the hands of his first followers. And do you know what they did? They did what we all tend to do. They tried to fit Jesus' message into their old existing lifestyle. In fact, you know, that's what most of us do with the message of Jesus Christ. We, we try to fit it into our old existing lifestyle. And it just doesn't work. In fact, you could say this about the early Christians. You could say this. The early Christians attempts, attempted to mix the Jesus model and the temple model. Literally, they started following Jesus, but then they began to reintroduce some of this old back in with the new. And if you really stop and think about it, to some degree, it does make sense why they would do that. I mean, think about it. These early followers of Jesus, they were Jewish people who had grown up in the Jewish temple model. And that Jewish temple model, it had existed for like thousands of years. And their sacred texts had hundreds, like over 600 of sacred rules that they believed that they needed to follow in order to gain or to keep access to God and to have peace and have a relationship with God. So you can imagine for these Jewish Christ followers how weird it felt, how unsettling, how wrong it felt to suddenly walk away from everything they had known for thousands of years as if it didn't matter anymore. To all of a sudden eat food that had been called illegal for them to eat or unclean for them to eat. For them to kind of like break rules that they were always taught were offensive to break and to hang out with people that they were told was unclean and impure, you know, those Gentiles. And so after Jesus left this earth, they tried to embrace this message of Jesus, the, the new Jesus model. But they just kind of kept mixing in some of their old temple model way of thinking. And you know what? They, they might have gotten away with it if the Apostle Paul hadn't come along. Now, you've got to understand something. When the Apostle Paul first steps onto the pages of history, his name isn't Paul. His name is Saul. And he's kind of like this up-and-coming superstar in the Jewish temple model over here. And, and as, a, as a young man even, he's already like a member of this group of sacred men who control the sacred text. Which is why when this whole Jesus movement started over here, Paul, which was really his name was Saul at that time, he was intent on doing whatever it took to smash it, to end that thing. Because as far as he was concerned, Jesus' followers, they were dangerous. Because he knew something very profound. That this new message and the laws of Judaism, they could not coexist. They could not be missed. So, so this brand new message of Jesus, really it threatened his religion and he understood that. It threatened his religious way of thinking. But so while Saul is over here trying to stamp out this new movement of Jesus, he has an encounter with Jesus that entirely changed his life. And, and you can read the whole account in Acts chapter 9. We're going to read a few verses out of that um, some next week. But um, it, it just changed his life. 
And he became a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he spent his early years right after learning to know Christ, just learning from Christ. And then, and then he traveled around the Mediterranean rim, forming and planting churches. And he was passionate. And as passionate as he was about saying the temple model and the Jesus model couldn't mix before he became a Jesus follower, after he became a Jesus follower, he's going, it sure can't mix now. And that's where the problem came in for the Apostle Paul because he would plant these churches and then he would leave these towns to go plant other churches and other Jewish Christians that were mixing the temple model with the Jesus message, they would come behind him and they would tell these new followers of Jesus, hey, by the way, the Apostle Paul didn't give you all the information about what it means to be a Christian. It's just a lot more complicated than what the Apostle Paul says. They said, you have to become a Jew and follow Jewish ways in order to be a Christian. And so the Apostle Paul would be out here planting other churches, and he would find out that these Judaizers would come in, and they would stir this message up. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, as we're going to see today, he would become furious. Because in his mind, nobody, nobody should ever mix the Jesus model and the temple model. And so he refused to allow the Jesus model and the temple model to be mixed because he knew something He's like, it's so dangerous to try to mix the two. He knew how destructive it would become to people's faith and the message of Jesus. And he knew that mixing the two would make the church very resistible to people. So what he would do, whenever he'd find that out, he didn't have fast ways to travel back then. The way he would combat this is he would write letters back to these churches addressing the mess that was created by people trying to mix the two models, the Jesus model and the temple model. So what we're going to do today is, is we're going to read part of one of these letters where he is trying to combat this mess and, and clear up people's thinking, and it's called Galatians. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can follow along in Galatians chapter 5, or we'll put the words up here on the screen for you. Now, just so you kind of get a little background of the context, Galatia was a Roman providence that is now located in modern-day Turkey, kind of thinking about one of our states uh, in our country. So it included several cities where the Apostle Paul had planted or started churches. So when the Apostle Paul heard that these people were coming behind him to convince these people in these churches to keep practicing some of the elements of the old temple model, literally to mix the Jesus model and the temple model, I mean, he he gets so angry because he knows that to mix these two would end up causing these people to lose this brand new message that Jesus came to introduce and and they forget what grace was and what freedom was in Christ. And so today what we're going to do is is we're going to let you kind of see how wrong the Apostle Paul felt it was to mix the old temple model and the Jesus model. And here's why this is so important for us. Because too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, they still read the New Testament through the filter. And they try to practice the message of Jesus through the filter of the old temple model. Look at it with me in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ 
has set us free. And, and that can seem a little obvious when you kind of first look at it, but here's why this is important. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. If your version of Christianity doesn't lead you to be free, then your version is wrong. In other words, if your understanding of follow Jesus, following Jesus doesn't feel like freedom to you, you misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul, he's going, listen, whenever you try to mix the old temple model with the new Jesus model, you're going to lose the very freedom that Jesus Christ died for you to experience. You're going to fall back into the trap of trying to earn God's approval by following sacred rules and, and going to sacred places, which misses the whole point of what Jesus came to do. So he comes down pretty hard on this. In fact, he goes on. He says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Because the old way, that old temple model, it kind of enslaved you. It was, it was a burden. In fact, he continues. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And some of you are going, now where does that come from? Like, what has circumcision got to do with anything? Well, let me give you a little context here. The Apostle Paul wasn't against men having the procedure of circumcision. The Apostle Paul was against what these Jewish people who were coming from the old temple model were teaching these new believers that, Here's what's got to happen. You've got to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because under the old covenant, the old temple model, circumcision was necessary to gain access to God, to be in right standing with God. And, and the apostle Paul goes, no, 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 listen. You can't say Jesus Christ plus circumcision equals access to God. It is Jesus Christ plus nothing that equals access to God. Because, and don't, don't miss this, Jesus' arrival, it marked the end of God's participation in the temple model. And you know why it marked the end of God's participation in the temple model? Jesus' arrival, it marked something brand new that God was doing. Because notice this, we said Jesus' arrival marked the end of God's participation in the temple model. Because as I said, many church people in our culture are still participating in the temple model. They're still reading the gospel message of Jesus through the filter of the temple model. But when Jesus came, God stopped participating in the temple model. Which is why the apostle Paul is saying to all of these Jewish people, listen, if you're going to count on circumcision to make you right with God, then you're not trusting in Jesus to make you right with God. He's going, listen, it can't be both. It's one or the other. And then he continues and he kind of lays that out. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you're going to say that you got to follow one of the things of the old covenant, one part of the old covenant, and like, like, act like that's what puts you in a right standing with God, he said, no, 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 no. It's not just one. You've got to obey the whole law, all 600 and something plus. He said, the only way that that's going to work for you, it's going to have you in a right standing with God, is for you to follow all of the old covenant, and you have to do it perfectly. 
In other words, he's saying, you just can't be in right standing with God by doing part of it. You've got to keep all the sacred law. And if you think he's getting emphatic with that, he really starts getting emphatic about the problem of mixing the Jesus model and the temple model. Notice what he says next. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In other words, he's saying, listen, you can't hold on to grace and then be over here and trying to earn God's acceptance at the same time. He said you can't do both. In fact, to kind of help you uh, to illustrate this, let me just kind of use this card as an example. So let's just say that I came to some of you this morning and I said, um, and I have a $100 gift card and I come to you and I say, hey, listen, I want to give you this $100 gift card. And you say, oh, I, possibly, I could not possibly take that from you. I uh, just could not. But I, by insisting, go, yeah, I'd love to give you this $100 gift card. And you go, well, let me give you $50 for it. And I go, no, no, I just want to give you this as a gift. And, and you go, well, how about if I give you $40? I go, no, I just want this to be a gift to you. And you go, I just feel so wrong about taking that card from you. Can I at least just like give you $25? And then I let you give me $25. And I hand you the card. And what has happened in that moment that I let you give me $25 and I hand you the card? No longer am I handing you a gift card. Now it is a discount card. Because it's not a gift anymore. You just paid $25 for it. And the Apostle Paul is saying the same is true of grace. The minute you try to earn or deserve grace, it's not grace It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can only receive it. And so the Apostle Paul, he's telling all these Jewish Christians, he's saying, listen, if you believe that you need to mix circumcision back into the Jesus model to be right with God, he's saying, listen, then it's not grace. It's no longer the Jesus model anymore. It's something else completely different, but it's not grace. And if you're not going to be made right with God through grace, then you've got to keep all of the law perfectly. Because basically saying, listen, when you start believing you've got to mix something else in with grace, it's no longer grace. And here's the reality for all of us in 21st century America, and that is this. The moment that you and I start believing that to have a relationship with God, we need to mix in like church attendance or Bible reading or baptism and all those things are good. Or maybe following some Old Testament commands or doing some good works to keep us in good with God. It's not grace anymore. And then the Apostle Paul starts helping us understand that. Look at verse six. Here's what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Literally, he's going, all of those things that you used to hold on to to make you in good with God, it doesn't matter because Jesus has introduced something brand new. And then the Apostle Paul, he makes a statement that's so extreme 
that it is hard for most Christ followers to even wrap their head around it or embrace it. But I'm going to go and tell you something. If you're on one of our campuses today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we believe what the apostle Paul addresses next is one of the primary reasons that you have found the church resistible. In fact, listen to this statement about what matters to God. Here's what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And some of us are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think the Apostle Paul got a little carried away when he says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters. I mean, have you seen how thick that Bible is that lays on my mom's coffee table? I mean, there's a whole lot more things in that Bible. There's usually like those top 10 things. There's, there's a lot more things that, that I've read the last time I remember the Bible, right? Remember, that's how it goes for most of us. I mean, there's just a lot more things. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. What I mean is in Christ Jesus, the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, let me just tell you why this statement is so significant for so many of us as followers of Jesus Christ. The temple model, which most of us filter the gospel message of Jesus Christ through, and, I, and we know that because of this next question I'll put it on the screen. This is your primary question if you are seeing your relationship with God through the temple model. Here it is. God, how am I doing? Am I in good with you today or am I not good with you today? You like me, you don't like me. See, that, that's temple model thinking. It's all about the vertical. How are me and God doing? Have I made him mad? Have I made him too mad? I mean, is this, is this really bad? Is this, I mean, is God going to be mad at me if I do this? He's not going to be mad at me. See, the temple model thinking, it's all about a vertical relationship with God. Everything's about making sure that things between me and God are okay. So you know what? If, if circumcision is what I need to do, if early eating only certain foods is what I need to do, if going to certain sacred places and doing certain sacred things then I'll do whatever I need to do because I want to get things right with God. But you know what? The Jesus model thinks completely differently. Because see, in the Jesus model, Jesus says, when you put your faith in what I did for you on the cross, that I paid the price for all of your sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit on the cross, that I took God's anger on myself for you, that I took all of God's punishment for all of, my, uh, all of your sin on, on myself for you. When you put your faith in what I did for you on the cross, everything is good between you and God. Jesus says in the Jesus model, listen, because of what I did for you on the cross, when you receive the gift of grace and forgiveness, and you receive me in your heart to be your Lord and your Savior and your life leader, then you're in good with God because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ, and he sees the righteousness of Christ, not your performance or your behavior. And basically in the Jesus model, he's saying, listen, you can quit worrying about how God feels about you. He loves you, and he cares enough about you to die for you. He wants a relationship with you. 
So in the Jesus model, Jesus took care of the solution of the vertical relationship with you and God. And do you know what that does for us? That begins to inform and that begins to form our identity, that we're in Christ. And when I don't get it right, God doesn't get mad at me because when he looks at me, I'm in Christ and God still sees the righteousness of Christ. I'm still his beloved. So because of what Jesus did, our relationship with God is right. And we don't have to worry about whether I'm in with God or not in with God. And if you're going through your life and you're worried, am I in with God, I'm not in with God, you're still in the old temple model. And the Apostle Paul going, that's not grace. You're trying to earn it. But you know what? In the Jesus model, instead of going, am I in good with God? You go, no, I'm in good with God because Jesus died for me. I received that gift of forgiveness and I'm in a right relationship with God all because of what Jesus Christ did. In the Jesus model, instead of focusing on that, you focus on what's happening horizontally with the people around you. See, the big question in the Jesus model, if you're living in the New Testament, in the Jesus model, you're going, are things good between me and the people around me? That, that's the number one question you start asking. Are, are things good between me and the people around me? Because here's what you know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're living out of the New Testament model, the only thing that counts is your faith being expressed through your behavior toward others and by the way you love others. You don't justify being mean-spirited toward other people. There's nothing that allows you to justify it. Even if you just go, well, I was just joking. There's nothing when you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're living out the new covenant, the Jesus model that allows you to justify being mean to other people at any level. Now, if that disturbs you just a little, keep listening because it gets better. You were running a good race who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, for those of you that are kind of like me, and your idea of making a gourmet meal is got to be in the microwave and come out, let's talk a little bit about what yeast is. Yeast is like a single cell fungus, and, and what makes yeast so powerful is its ability to spread. I mean, just give it a little bit of time, and yeast will work itself through the whole batch of dough. And here's the Apostle Paul's point. It only takes a little bit of the wrong, the temple model thinking, to corrupt the whole thing. Literally, it, it only takes a little bit of temple model thinking mixed in with this brand new Jesus model to mess up what Jesus wants to do in and through you. And the problem that the Apostle Paul was addressing in the New Testament church was this, is many of the teachers of that day, as many of the teachers are even in churches today, they're going, no, no, no. It doesn't really hurt to hold on to some of the temple model. It's really not that bad. And the Apostle Paul's going, no, it can't be tolerated for a minute. Not for one minute. Notice what he goes on. Here's how he says it. As for those agitators, literally he's talking about the people who are saying, oh, it's Jesus Christ, plus you need to do this, this, and this, and this, and, you know, some rules, regulations, that kind of thing. He says, as for those agitators, <laughs> here's what he goes. I wish they would go the whole way. And what he says next it's PG-13. 
It's why we have Womba Land and Upstreet, so don't get mad at me for saying this, okay? And Apostle Paul, he wrote this, not me. It's okay. As for those agitators that said, you know, you got to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christ follower, all that. He goes, I just wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, this is how adamant he is, going, don't even think for a moment that this is going to work. And I'm pretty sure those people over here in the old temple model, the, the Jewish people who are saying, yeah, it's Jesus Christ plus this and this. They're thinking, Paul, 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 just calm down. It can't be that bad to mix it a little bit. But the apostle Paul goes, I'm not coming down. Because the minute the temple model and the Jesus model, they mix, everything gets wrecked. The message of Jesus Christ, it gets lost. The message of grace, it gets lost. And people try to start earning their favor with God. And they start justifying being mean to each other. See, the Apostle Paul understood, I think from his past life and then as a follower of Christ, that wherever the temple model exists, leaders become self-righteous. And followers become self-righteous. Because leaders, they tend to position themselves as closer to God than everyone else. And some of the people who can keep the rules better than other people, they start positioning themselves as closer to God than every people, other people. And they start acting like they've got this inside track with God. And then they start saying things like this, you know, if you want to be in with God, if you want to have access with God, then you better come and get my help, and you better come and do what I say, and, and you better honor me by giving me like a parking spot at the front door, and you better send me like $54 million so I can have a jet plane and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? See, in the temple model, people get manipulated. In the temple model, the text gets manipulated, and it's used to beat people down, and you go, well, they're just not as good as me, because they don't keep as many of these rules and these laws. I mean, look at what it says here. They're not doing that. They're just not worthy enough. Look at what it says over there. They're not doing that. And you know what the worst thing is about mixing some of the temple model in with the Jesus model? Is temple model thinking Christ followers they justify mistreating people. Because in their mind, them doing the sacred texts and going to the sacred places trumps how they treat what is really sacred to God. And that's the people that he died for. Think about this. Have you ever been mistreated by a person who called himself a Christ follower? There's probably not a day goes by in my week that I don't have a conversation with a person who's part of our church, part of another church, part of our community, who tells me how they have been mistreated by a person who calls himself a Christ follower. And that Christ follower justifies himself and what they did. So, so you ever been hurt by a Christian all in the name of they're just having fun? It's just a joke. You need to have thicker skin. All in the name of, we're just obeying God. We're just defending the Bible. We're just standing for the truth. We're just defending what's right. Listen, if your theology justifies you mistreating people in any way, you have a false theology. Because the Apostle Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And if your personal doctrine or any church's doctrine 
says something else is more important than that new commandment of Jesus, then they have got the wrong thing as the main thing. That's temple model thinking. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on and points this out. Look at verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do you know that every time you wrong someone, hurt someone, wound someone, you have indulged your flesh? You had not thought, oh, is this a loving thing to say about them? Is this a loving thing to do? You go, oh, this would feel good. Let me just, let me just, you know how you do and then we just all, and this, this, it just, it makes me almost sick to my stomach anymore when I hear someone say, I was just being, I was just joking. They can't take a joke. Like, no, 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 you were just indulging your flesh. Because Apostle Paul, even Romans 14, he goes, listen, I, I wouldn't do anything to hurt another believer. I wouldn't do not anything, because that's what love does. It doesn't hurt people. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather what do you use this new freedom in Christ to do? To serve one another humbly. How many times have you heard a Christ follower go, ain't nobody telling me how to do life? Ain't nobody going to speak in my life that way. Ain't nobody going to do this. Ain't nobody going to do that to me. Serve one another humbly in love. Which is Apostle Paul's way of saying, in this new Jesus model, it's not about now that Jesus has introduced this new covenant, which is all about God's grace and forgiveness for us that I can do anything I want to do. It's not about, you know, grace is not behavior-based. It's not based on what I did, it's based on what Jesus Christ did for me. So now I can just live as I please. I can do whatever I want. I can sin as much as I want. I can treat people the way I want them to know. It's got nothing to do with this. See, see, listen. Grace, freedom, and forgiveness isn't a license for selfishness. He says, don't indulge the flesh anymore. Grace, freedom, forgiveness, God's love, it is motivation for selflessness. It's about how can I serve other people in love? See, the Jesus model motivates you to serve one another humbly in love. And if that is not the motivation of your life, you're not living in the Jesus model. You're living in the temple model. And my big question is, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? See, the Jesus model, the primary motivation is about showing others the same kind of love that God showed you. It's not a license to do whatever you want. Which means that Christ followers, we're not consumers. It's not about selfishness. We're contributors. It's about being selfless. And then the Apostle Paul, he just deals like the death blow to this thing. Look at verse 14. Here's what he says. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now let me just stop right here. Because I probably got more emails, text messages, phone calls, people stopping me on the street, accusing me of teaching heresy last week than any other sermon in a long time. Because I made a statement in last week's talk saying, listen, the new command that Jesus gave us to love one another as he loved us 
replace the top 10. That messed with a lot of people big time. They were like, that's just heresy. How can you say that? And all my response was, because I was preaching a sermon on love, so I'm going to be loving. I wanted to say, don't you read your Bible? But I didn't say that because that would not be loving. I'm like, get that thought out of here, Satan. It was like, just come back this Sunday and I'll tell you where we get that. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Don't miss this. The Apostle Paul is really saying that Jesus taught us that we can fulfill the entire law of the Old Testament covenant by keeping one command. So what that means, this one command, it replaces all the top 10 of the other 600. I mean, this is what he's saying here. It, Jesus, the model, is so simple to understand. But it is so difficult to live out. Because think about it. The new command is love one another as Christ what? Loved us. Now, here, here's the thing. My wife helped me understand this. See, you can live your whole life without killing someone, murdering someone, and not love as Jesus did. You can live your whole life and never steal anything and not love as Jesus did. You can live your whole life and not commit adultery and not love as Jesus did. Think about it. You can live your whole life not coveting. See, you, you can live your whole life basically doing the Ten Commands and not love like Jesus did. This new command, it raises a standard so much higher. Because if you live out that command, you'll fulfill all of those and a whole lot more. And so the next statement the Apostle Paul makes, it's his practical application to the churches of Galatia of Jesus' new command to love one another as he loved us. Here's what he says. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, the thing, the one thing that needs to inform all things in our life, all of our behavior, all of our attitude, all of our actions, all of our reactions is love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you want to interpret the way Jesus, or say it the way Jesus said it, you love one another as Christ loved us. See, we respond to Jesus' love by loving people as Jesus loved us. And you got it covered. That's the whole new command. That, that's the Jesus model. And don't miss this. When Jesus gave us this new command, I mean, he raised the standard so high that no one is going to get it right all the time, which means nobody can look at somebody else and go, well, I get it more perfect than they do. So you can do that under the temple model. I get five of the commands right. They only get four. I get four of them right. They only get two. See, but none of us love others as Christ loved us all the time. And what that means is if you call yourself a Christ follower, and it means when you say, you know, this church this, and that church that, and those Christians over there this, and those Christians over there that, what you're kind of subtly inferring is that you've stepped into the temple model going, I get it more right than they do. No, no, no. Jesus raised the standard for our behavior toward others. The bar is so high that all of a sudden you wake up one day and go, 
ah, we're all in this together. We all miss the mark of getting that right every day. And if you have somehow convinced yourself that you're hitting the mark better than other people, it means you're over here in the temple model. Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now listen, here's why it's so important that we get this. The minute we get this and understand this, we, sin, we see sin differently. Our definition of sin will no longer be how close to sin or how much can I get away with without making God mad at me. Because we go, no, God's not mad at me. He took all his anger out on Jesus on the cross. We start seeing sin for what it is, and our definition of sin becomes Jesus' definition of sin. And you know what Jesus' definition of sin was? It's any unloving act toward others. Any unloving act of sin toward others, any unloving act uh, toward others is also a sin against God. See, the minute we begin to realize following Jesus is about how we treat other people, all of a sudden we go, no, it's not about these religious systems anymore. Following Jesus, it begins to lead to freedom in our lives. And once we get this, we start treating people better and we have better relationships because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what if we got this right, personally? What if we got this right as a church? I mean, can you imagine the difference it would make in our communities if all of us lived in such a way that the only thing that we worried about the most was that our faith was expressing itself through love? Imagine how different your marriage and your family would be. Imagine how much different your relationships with the people in our community would be. Imagine how much more positive your school would be, your workplace would be. Imagine how differently people would begin to view Christians And the church, they they might start seeing the church brand as new. They might even start believing that church and church people are for them. And once people begin to believe that we're for them, imagine the thought that they might start believing that Jesus, that God is for them. And you know what happened when people started really believing that God and Jesus were for them? the church would start being irresistible instead of resistible. Listen, if you're with us today and and, and the church has kind of been resistible to you and you've kind of resisted this whole thing of the church, here's what we know. Your resistance is not based on the fact that we believe in Jesus. Your your resistance is because there have been Christians or people who call them Christ followers and they've justified their mean behavior toward you. That's why this temple model thing is so dangerous. Because in the temple model way of thinking, when we use the temple model as our filter, it causes us to take our eyes off of what's really sacred to Jesus, and that's people. And we start focusing on, "Am am I good with God? How do we feel about our relationship with God? The Jesus model is all about, what's my relationship like with the people around me? Because see, in the temple model, we start justifying treating people wrongly. So what would it look like this week if in every situation, in every decision, every circumstance, every discussion that you have, we would ask this question. 
Would others say that I express my faith through love? And if you're really bold, you're really serious about this, why don't you ask the people around you if that's true of you? And if they say, no, you, you've justified treating so many people wrongly so many times, don't, don't bow up and get mad at them. Just get on your knees before God and say, God, forgive me for living in the temple model. I want to live in the Jesus model. See, if they, if they tell you no, it means you probably need to lean into living and loving like Jesus did because there's probably still a little temple model in you. Now, some of you are going, man, this, this is stretching me so much because your whole faith has been filtered through the temple model. And this whole love thing is like, oh, oh, you're trying to wrap your head around it. Don't get distracted by the temple model. But can we just for this one week ask ourselves this question? Would others say I express my faith through love? And then come back next week because it gets even better. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for this opportunity to just stop and pause and really look at what matters the most to you. God, thank you that for some of us today was a day that we realized that in Christ, I'm good with God. But in Christ, what matters most is my faith expressing itself through love. And I haven't been doing a good job of that. So God, forgive us of our sin against our fellow man and our sin against you by sinning against our fellow men. And help us this week to live our lives expressing our faith through love. God, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to do this because through our flesh, we're just going to indulge our flesh. Through our flesh, we're just going to make it about us. So we need your Holy Spirit's presence right now to go with us as we leave the buildings that we're in to remind us, hey, the only thing that matters this week is that we're expressing our faith through love. Thank you, Jesus, for your help. And thank you for your love. That's a model for us of how to love others. In Jesus' name.